You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. We are in the book of Daniel. Uh, it's an, an Old Testament book. And uh, so if you want to, if you brought your Bibles with you, and I hope that you did, let's open to chapter 9. And this is going to be a, a long chapter, not necessarily the amount of words, but it's a heavier one. Um, and in this chapter 9, we have four sections that I'd like us to go through. Uh, and uh, uh, the way I split it up is just so it, it makes, it, it just, so, just so that it's easier as we go through it, knowing which section that we're, we're in. So four sections, and I think we're going to have fun today because we're going to look at a lengthy prayer, uh, Daniel's lengthy, lengthy prayer, and then we have a prophecy right at the end. Now, I'm not going to allot the same amount of time for each section. I just want to kind of give you a kind of preface this, that the first two sections, I'm going to spend a little bit more time. So don't be antsy and looking at your time like, oh my goodness, it's been half 35 minutes. It's only been through like the first two sections. Um, so yeah, so I'm just going to give you the sections right off the get-go here. We're going to talk about the Bible study. So first section, the Bible study, and then the prayer, and then the helper and God's love. And then the last section, the prophecy. Anyways, as we go through them. You're going to familiar, familiarize yourself with, with them just as I have uh, the past few weeks. So if you're new, we're, going to, we're taking 12 weeks to go through this amazing book, um, um, going through 12 chapters of this Old Testament book of Daniel, and it's been exciting for me. It's been amazing for me. It's been very um, life-changing, I can say that. I've been really convicted through some of these uh, the, the things that God has been showing me as, as we, we, I have been studying uh, the book of Daniel. Now, just to give you a little bit of a, an intro to the book, if you're new uh, to the series, this takes place about five or 600 years before Jesus was born. Uh, it's about 2,500 years in the past, so this is going back uh, quite a bit. Uh, and some of us would ask, how could a book this old have any application in my life? I mean, it's been so long, and come on. Well, let me just say this, and there's a, a, a verse in the Bible that we, we like to memorize, and it's in, it's in Timothy, and it says, uh, all scriptures God breathed, all of it. And it really has the power to change. It really has the power to save. It convicts us, right? It does so much. So it doesn't matter that this book is that old. It's really God's word is timing and timeless. And that's just so amazing. And we're going to get a little bit into that. Additionally, in the book of Daniel, we find that there is such a thing as the spirit of Babylon, right? And in the spirit of Antichrist, the supernatural dark force and power that is behind all the evil that is happening in the world. Right, a dark power who's at work. Uh, we believe in our day as well, so it's relevant there, and we may see this power more clearly right in the days to come. So yes, this book is very relevant for our time. Again, every word in the Bible is relevant and powerful, because again, the Bible is timeless in timing. Well, God's people in Babylon have been living there for about seventy years, uh, far away from home, and they're getting ready to pack up, and head home, back to their hometown. This is kind of the, the premise, and this is the backdrop of, of this chapter, to begin worshiping God in the temple and preparing for the coming of Jesus, right, uh, which is the whole point of all of human history. 
And, and what God is going to do, he's going to not only address their out of, outer life, as in, you know, you guys have enough to eat, you have shelter, but their inner life, not only the exterior, but the interior as well. Because you can change your exterior, but if you don't work on your interior, nothing significant happens, right? Nothing significant changes. This is why people who plan on, you know, uh, moving or they move, sometimes they'll say, well, if, you know, we'll move, we'll get a fresh and a clean start. Not if you don't have a fresh and a clean heart, right? That's, that's how it works. You can be married and say, hey, we're fighting a lot. Let's just go get a brand new car or a brand new house. Well, guess what? You pick up the fight in the new home, right? You can find yourself in a really difficult season in life, but unless you change some of your thinking, some of your behaving, you can even move to another city, but all that's going to change is your address, and that's about it. And so what God is doing here, he's wanting to deal not only with the external, right, which is important. Well, we need to eat, we need to sleep, right, all of that, but also the internal. And he does it through his servant, Daniel, a very godly man who was at this point, at this point has been living in Babylon for almost 70 years Far away from home at this point, he's probably in his 80s, so he's an older gentleman. And we pick this whole story up in, in this chapter, chapter 9, verse 1. And we're going to start looking at Daniel having, and this is the first section, a Bible study. It's the same thing that we're having here today. It's just that I'm going to be talking a lot more, right? But this is kind of a Bible study, right? And my question to you would be right from the get-go, right from the beginning, um, how is your Bible study? How is... How are you in the Word? Are you, are, you, are you still passionate about God's Word? Is, there, is, is that you? Are, you? are you feeding yourself on God's Word on a regular basis? Um, but let's look at how Daniel's Bible study is going, and then I'm sure that we're going to glean a lot from it. So this is the first section, and it's only the first two verses, verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, let me just go ahead and, and read again. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up. Um, uh, Daniel chapter 9, so the first two verses. I'm going to, just to kind of a, a heads, I want to be talking a little bit quicker. I do have a lot of information to get through. Just bear with me. So, in the first year of Darius, the son of Hasherus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah, the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, here's what Daniel is doing. He's studying the book of Jeremiah, and he reaches a point, and he determines Oh, it says that after 70 years, we get to go home. And he's doing the math, and he's thinking, we're almost there. There's probably just a couple of years before we get to go home. He was taken captive as a teenager. As we know, he's in his 80s. Almost 70 years have passed, and he is finding revelation in the Word of God. Now, let me just say this. Let me just make this point. If you want a word from God, get into the Word of God, right? Uh, the moral of the story is this. If you want a word from God, get into the word of God. And that's exactly what Daniel is doing here. He's reading the book of Jeremiah, and, and it's the word of, what does it say? It's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord to Jeremiah. This is what we need to keep in mind, um, friends. Behind all of the human authors of the word of God is ultimately the God of the word. Right? And he's speaking through these human authors, so God wrote it. That means that this is the most important and sacred book that we have in the universe. 
Do you ever think of the word of God like that? Still. That's good. Like it's directly from God. Full of authority, full of power and grace and truth and that it can really change our lives. Do we still uh, look, is that our perspective when we think of the word of God? And did you know that when God wants to speak to you and he does, he does frequently, most clearly he does it through scriptures, right? But well, let me ask this, then why don't we care to study it more? Why don't we care to be in it more? Why don't we care to feed from it on a daily basis more? We say it's the word of God, but do we actually believe it? Do our actions say that we believe it? Here are a few amazing ways reminding us of how important God's word is for us. Let me just give you a few ways through which God's word gives us grace to overcome any difficulty that arises in our lives. My hope is that, in my life as well, my hope is that we would deeply desire to hear from God through his word and that we would deeply desire uh, to, to spend time in the word and to make time to be in the word. So first, let me just kind of go through a few, uh, just a few reminders, uh, but it's just fascinating to actually be reminded of all these amazing things that God's word uh, does in us. First, do we struggle with doubts, fears, and anxiety? Anyone here? <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> all of us to some extent. Did you know that God's word helps us defeat them by strengthening our faith? Did, did, did we know that? I, I, I mean, there's so many verses that point to this. I'm just probably going to give just one. I, we don't have the time to go through all of them. Romans 10, 17, at least just write it down and go through it And when you go home. Second, do you desire to defeat the presence of sin in your life? Do you desire that? Uh, yeah, I think we all do. But, but listen, did you know that the Bible helps us fight sin in our lives? And if we're not in God's word, ah, nothing much is going to happen, right? John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Third, do you struggle with making important and difficult decisions in your life? We all have to make so many important, difficult decisions in life, right? Well, sometimes I think we forfeit so much blessing and we... We just, we decide and we just ruin our lives sometimes and we, we make the, 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 the most horrible decisions, right? But did you know that the Bible helps us make decisions according to God's will so that we are blessed and not, and that we don't get in trouble, right? Fourth, do you feel weak against the crafty schemes of the devil? Man, he's throwing so much at us, right? Hmm. Let me just... Uh, John Piper sums up this point perfectly, and he writes this, Scripture enables me to hit the devil in the face with a force he cannot resist and so protect my family and, my, and myself from his assaults. The Word of God, again, is the answer. Fifth, do you, do you want to detect truth from, from error in a world filled with lies and misinformation? Do you want to do that? Do you want to know the truth? Well, did you know that the Bible helps us detect lies and error in a world filled with lies? And sixth, have you ever wanted to encourage someone when they are hurting or discouraged, or, or maybe even yourself? Well, the Bible is powerful enough to revive the soul, to lift our spirits up, to refresh us, to empower us. Let me just give you, Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Like, wow, the answer is right here in front of us. 
And just the last one here, do you ever feel dissatisfied or discontent? Yeah, I think so. At various degrees, various, you know, seasons in our lives, we, we all do. But did you know that the Bible helps us grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ so that the cravings of our soul may be satisfied, but in him, not in sports and not in food and not in clothes and careers. No, 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 in him, in Jesus Christ. And, and you get to know Christ by being in the word and feeding yourself from the word. This is why we go through the books of the Bible here at Summit. This is why we don't skip verses in the books of the Bible as we study them and as we anticipate God speaking to us. Again, my hope is that we would deeply desire to hear from God through his word. And in my desire is that we would deeply desire to spend time in the word and to make time being in the word. Is anyone convicted? Am I the only one? But I'm sure that a lot of us are. And that's a good thing. So let's get back to our text. Where does Daniel study in Jeremiah? That's a pretty good question to ask, right? I believe there are two places. I'm only going to touch on one, uh, but I challenge to go home and read these two passages because there's such, they're so specific. God was so specific. So one is in Jeremiah 25, 8 through 12. Uh, let me just kind of summarize this passage. While they were at home in Israel, God raised up a prophet by the name of Jeremiah to predict the future. And God said through him, a nation is going to rise up and uh, called Babylon. And, and they're going to have a, a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to march in and he's going to conquer you guys, my people, and, and my nation. This will be my discipline for you because you guys have been not listening for 490 years. Through my servant Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Always confuse that. They will be taken away for exactly 70 years, and then I will allow them to return home. How specific is that? This is before all of this happens. Because the God who knows the future rules the future and reveals the future through scriptures and through his prophets. He does that. This is incredibly specific. Like, we don't know who's going to win the election in 2024 or later this year, right? And we don't know what we're going to have for dinner tonight. Or maybe some of you do know to some extent. But that could change, right? There's not a lot of things that we're confident about when it comes to the future. But God knows everything in perfect detail. How awesome is that? The point is, you don't need to know everything. You don't. You need to know the one who does, and that's God, and that's the idea here. And he reveals little by little. Do you know why he does that? Well, at least one of the reasons. So that we can grow in our trust in him. So that we can grow in our trust in him. We'd love to know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, but no, 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 no. That may do a lot of damage to our finite minds and our finite beings, but God knows. And if we trust in the God that knows, we are secure. Now, Daniel is reading in, 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 in his Bible study, and he does the math, and he's like, it's almost 70 years. We're right there. We're almost going to go home. But the truth is that God's people are not ready yet. Hmm. They're not ready to return and open up with the temple, which is the equivalent, the version of the church today, right? They're not ready to worship God. They're not ready to witness to others about God, and, and they have not been obedient to the word of God. So they are not ready for the future that God has planned for them. The same is true for all of us at various degrees, at various times, and in various ways. And so what Daniel is going to do, he's going to intercede and pray for God's people. Something got really laid heavy on my heart this week. And I'm going to talk a little bit about intercession and how we 
I think we're called to intercede for Garden City and for this community. God is moving already. We've seen results, which is absolutely amazing. Praise God for that. But let's intercede, Summit Church. Let's intercede for for, for the people of Garden City, that God would save more and more and more people. Amen? Let me just say this. Can I encourage us to read and study and spend time in God's Word and then spend time in prayer? If this is the pattern that we see in Daniel's life, and we ought to emulate that. In just a moment, we're going to read his lengthy prayer. But he starts with Bible study, and then he stops, and he prays. Do you notice that? This is how we have a conversational relationship with God. He speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him back through prayer. And many of us know this, but not too many of us do this. And it's not just in the knowing, but it's in the doing that the blessing comes, right? And what Daniel does, he's reading, and then he stops to pray. Some of us who struggle with prayer, maybe we're not sure how to pray or when to pray or what to pray. Here's something that may help us. Start by reading your Bible. Just start by reading your Bible. And then as God strikes your heart, as God convicts you, as God opens your awareness, just stop and talk to him conversationally. It's as simple as that, but as powerful as that. Hmm. God, it says here in your word, I'm just reading it, that you know, you'll never leave us or forsake us. And God, I'm just going to be honest, I feel really alone, and, and it's, it's a hard season for me, and I don't, I don't know if anyone's with me and for me, but I read in the Word that you're for me, and so God, I'm opening my heart to you about this, and, and I want you to make this revelation a reality in my life, please, in Jesus' name. It's as simple as that. So Bible study and prayer, this is how it works, and, and so we're going to read Daniel's prayer we just looked at his Bible study, or at least we skimmed through it, and now we're going to examine his prayer. And what's curious is that he writes down his prayer for us. Do, do you know why? I mean, probably many reasons, but one of them. So that we could eavesdrop on his conversation with God, so that we can be encouraged by God answering his prayer, that we would pursue in turn praying Let me just say this as well. Sometimes we need to write our prayers down, to journal them out. I don't know how many of us. Does anyone do this here? That's awesome. I've been starting at various times and seasons. I'm not faithful with it. So I I was convicted this week to start again. But we do it because so that when God answers them, it can build our faith. And it does so in such a beautiful way. Wouldn't it be cool to have family members and friends learn that you have prayed and that God answered? What a testimony. And even for ourselves, it could really build our faith up. And the truth is that God who answered prayers in the past, God will answer prayers in the future. God God is the same. He's the same. And how many of you would love to have a little journal from a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent that was... They were recording their prayers, right, for years, and then, and then how God answered them. And that would be a family treasure, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be amazing? We'll start now for your kids and your grandkids. Let's do that. This is what Daniel is doing. He's recording for us his prayers and then reporting, right, the answer so that we might share in his joy. Now, let me just tell you this. This is a long prayer that we're going to get into right now, and and we're just going to go through the whole thing, and then I'll summarize it. So verses 3 to 19, let's continue. This is the second section, the prayer. So we just looked at the Bible study, and now the prayer. 
Again, it's a lengthy prayer, so let me just read it. Verses 3 to 19. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings and our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore... The Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. I am, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. How many of you pray like that? How many of us pray like that? So this is a long prayer, but at the same time, it's a passionate prayer. It's a tearful prayer. It's an earnest prayer. It's a heartfelt prayer, an emotional prayer, and it's a biblical prayer. Let me ask, if someone was to analyze your prayers in your prayer life, what would they say? What do your prayers sound like? What does your prayer look, life look like? 
does it look like Daniel's? Or is it, before you go to sleep and that's it, and you fall asleep, and sometimes you just catch yourself on your knees and you just fall asleep. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself too. Allow me to remind us of a few things that helped Daniel tremendously, I believe, to build a robust and powerful prayer life. Or, or, or if you want to put it a different way, or something that goes hand in hand with prayer, right? Just three points. At this point, Daniel has been walking with God faithfully through his teens, his 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and now he's in his 80s, and he's still faithful to God, and he's still a man of prayer. Now, one of the things that helped Daniel tremendously, I believe, in his prayer life is, number one, surrounding himself with godly friends. Oh, oh, that's so powerful. We met these guys earlier in the book, right? And what we can see is that they pray together, and they serve together, and they suffer together. They do life together, but they pray together. Ultimately, your life is largely defined by your, the company you keep. And the company you keep will either challenge you to pray more, challenge you to be more holy, or take you away from prayer and away from holiness and not directly, sure. This is why we tell our kids when they're little, pick good friends. When kids go into high school or college, we tell them, pick a good friend group. They will direct you towards prayer and holiness. When you're single, graduated, living on your own, make sure you find God's people, a great church, and do life with them. They will challenge you to pray. They will challenge you to holiness. And that goes hand in hand with other virtues that we find in, in God's word. When you're a young married couple, right, it's finding the couples in a gospel-centered church that you'll do relationship and life with. And they will pray. You will pray together with them. And so on and so forth. At every stage in life. Now, Daniel's friends have departed from the scene. We don't know where they, they are at this point. Maybe they're all dead. Maybe Daniel did their funerals, right? But nonetheless, he started with godly friends. And I think it's so important. Number two, he is a man who is ultimately committed to the study of God's word. We've talked about this, but he's in his 80s. He's been studying the Bible for almost 70 years just in Babylon. And he, he had many years before that in Israel. He spent his whole life studying the word of God, studying the Bible. He is a man who is consistent in scriptures. And when you're consistent in scriptures, let me tell you this, and you do for the right reasons, sure, it is impossible not to be convicted to pray more, to have a life of prayer that honors God and that really benefits you and the church. And here's what's amazing about you and I. We have more revelation than Daniel did. We, he didn't have the completion of the Old Testament. He didn't. He didn't have the coming of Jesus, the virgin birth, his sinless life, his death on a cross, his resurrection from death. He didn't see the church birth. He didn't experience meeting with the believers on Sunday. No, he didn't. He didn't get to see everything that we do. He didn't have any of the New Testament right books. He was looking down the corridor of history saying, Jesus is coming, and I see some of the details. Oh, I better pray, and I better be in God's word. We're looking in hindsight saying, wow, we now know more than Daniel did. And so if he was motivated to be in God's word and to be in prayer about Jesus' first coming, we should be really motivated to study the scriptures about his second coming and pray a lot more, and not just more, but with more fervor, passion, 
and heart and intercede for the people of Garden City and in all of our communities like Daniel did. And number three, again, things that help us or that go hand in hand with prayer, things that help us, other virtues that help us to, to build a robust and powerful prayer life. Number three, this might be a bit of a shocker for us Americans, but uh, we just read it in verse three. What else was he doing alongside praying? He was fasting. Someone's like, what is that strange word? <laughs> what? It's not eating. We're actually very familiar with it, but maybe from a physical benefit standpoint, right? But the reality is that we, we don't understand fasting. The one that goes hand in hand with praying, right? That's the one that I'm talking about. It's because we are Americans and we invented Costco. That's why. Where we buy food by the pallet. <laughs> no offense, Nick. I mean, we are now at the point that you can order your groceries. We've been doing this for a long time now and have them brought to us and not burn any calories to go get them. That's America and I'm sure a lot of other parts of the world now. We invented the all-you-can-eat buffet. We tend to eat our way through life. And fasting is stopping that. Stopping the routine of life and saying, I don't need this food right now. What I need right now is God and His presence. Fasting is craving for the presence of God, desiring God, desiring God's presence more than food. And what can happen is when we're in stress and duress and when we're in a delicate situation in life, we tend to self-medicate with what? With food. Other things too, sure. But food is one of them. Food is the, you know, kind of the okay one. Well, it's not really sinful. It's food. Come on, we need to eat, right? We tend to self-medicate with food, and when stress and duress comes, it's always a ton better just to fast and to focus on God and to say, Lord, things are not okay in my life. I need to be aware, and I need to depend on you and spend time in prayer, Father. This is what someone said about fasting, and it kind of sums up fasting. Let me just share it with you. Fasting blinds the body in order to open the eyes of the soul. That's good. And another thing that he, that, he, that he says, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. Whew, God help us. So getting back to Daniel's prayer, we need to understand that prayer is something we need. It's not something that God needs. You're not doing it for God. We're not doing it for God. <laughs> like, oh, I've done so much for God. I prayed for two hours today. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> you haven't done anything for God. And in prayer, you're not telling God something he doesn't know. God is not in heaven saying, oh, that's what happened? I'm sorry. No, in prayer, what, what you are doing is inviting God into the circumstances that he already knows about. And there's something powerful in there. And what happens in prayer, it actually reveals our hearts and it reveals our motives and our desires and our fears and our longings and something else as well. Something that's very, very crucial, something that's super important. It reveals our theology. Do you know that your prayers reveal your theology, what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about life? Oh, just play some of, your, some of our prayers out loud and like, oh, his theology's off the way he sees life and the way he sees himself and God. Hmm. Looking at Daniel's prayer, we can really understand that his theology is on point, biblical and gospel-centered. Can we say that about your prayers and my prayers? 
right? What he reveals in his prayer is he reveals the gospel. In other words, he talks about some bad news, then he talks about some amazing news. And the bad news in the gospel message is who we are, and Daniel points to that, that we're all broken and sinful. And, and, and the good news, because that's the flip side of the, the, the coin, right, is who God is and what he's done for us, and Daniel points to that as well. This is so just beautiful to see this. Sometimes you'll hear even Christians say, ah, we just need to inspire people and motivate people. And I'd say let's do that after we've told them who they are and what, they're, what they've done with their life. You know? Because our hope for people is not in people. Our hope for people is in God, right? The reality is that we are bad and God is good. We are the problem. God is the solution. We made a mess and God fixes it. That's the reality. That's the truth. And that's the essence of Daniel's prayer. So let me just start with the bad news of who we are and then get to the good news of who God is. Daniel is speaking of sin, right? We've all, that's one thing that we've definitely observed. Like he's just using a lot of, a whole constellation of different words in the original Hebrew, right? He's, he's talking about acting wickedly and wandering from the path and missing the mark and evil and rebellion and treachery. All this is in his prayer. All this language is to say, I think sin is so complicated and sin will destroy our lives. Sin is so multifaceted and so nefarious. It will really destroy your life and the life of those around us. And even Daniel's language is strange to give us the full perspective on how truly and awful our sin is and our behavior is. And what Daniel does as you read his prayer, he identifies himself with the people who are sinful. Kind of like Job. He says, we. Question, is Daniel a bad guy? No, he's a good guy. He's probably the godliest man alive on planet Earth at that time. I mean, sure, he's... He's not perfect. Yes, he, you know, God, I'm sure, was working in his, in his life and growing him and... But, but he, he could have prayed, God, I'm part of this nation that's cursed, and I wish these people were more like me, and so it wouldn't be so bad. But he doesn't do that, does he? He says, we have sinned, we have failed, we have fallen short, we have acted wickedly, we have acted treacherously. All of us did. This is the difference between the prayer of a repentant person and a religious person. A religious person, they will pray about everyone else's sin. A repentant person will also pray about their sin. They're actually, their focus is their sin. It doesn't matter how godly you are. It doesn't matter how, much, how, how long you've been a believer for. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. There's always something in your life to work on. There's always progress to be made. This is why the Christian faith requires tremendous humility. You may very well be a very mature and seasoned believer, but there are still things that God is revealing to you, and he needs to work in you and to change you and to make you more and more like Christ. The reality is that we don't talk much about sin in our culture, do we? Talk a lot about, wow, why don't you just boost my self-esteem? <laughs> That's offensive. Why don't you just love me and care for me? And we, we, we don't talk about sin. We'd rather be lied to. So, so, so what do we do with our sin then? Because there's a lot of it. 
Well, instead of bringing it to the cross and laying it at the cross to be forgiven for it and then to receive the resurrection power from Christ to change and repent, this is what we do. I'm just going to go really quickly over this. We deny sin, our sin. We hide our sin. We make excuses for us because there's always so many excuses that we can use, right? We blame someone or something else for our sin. We normalize it and then we celebrate it. This is a progression. And if you don't If you don't deal with your sin right from the beginning, you will get to celebrating your sin. And that's exactly what we see in our society today. We celebrate our sin. And that is a very, very dangerous place to be in. So instead of all these things that we listed, Daniel deals with sin. He deals with it. He's owning it. He's confessing it. He's bringing it before God. But let me just say this. You can't do that unless there's a God who forgives and helps, right? You can't because otherwise you have just acknowledged catastrophe in the state of an emergency. And if there isn't help on the way, you're doomed. But the good news that there's help, it's called the gospel. Now, the good news is that not only does the Bible tell us who we are, it tells us who God is. And Daniel hits this nail on the head. Church and friends, I would submit to you, these are the two most important things that we can learn in life, who God is and who man is, who we are. So Daniel doesn't only tell us about who we are as people that we're broken and we're messing our lives, but he tells us quite a bit about God, right? And as we kind of read through the prayer, he says that God is loving. That really comes out. That God is relational, that God is compassionate, that God is forgiving, that God doesn't give up. I would submit to you that God is like a father who is perfectly, continually, and eternally devoted to his kids. That comes out from this prayer. I got two kids. Sure, they're small. But no matter what they will do or they do, I'm still their dad. I still love them. My heart is open for them. My arms are open. My life is open to receive them, to bless them, to forgive, to help them, no matter what they're going to do. It doesn't matter where they will go. It doesn't matter what they'll do. The one thing that will never change is my love for my kids. So what are we to learn from this? Well, if you are in Christ, meaning if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we're, we've surrendered our lives to him and, and our sin to him, if we are followers of Jesus, we then are children of God, and God's heart toward us is a father's heart. Oh, summiters, be encouraged this morning. And this is really significant. Daniel uses the language of covenant. I'm not sure if you picked it up. We went pretty fast. That's the word that he uses, and it's hard for us to conceive of this kind of loving relationship because most of the time when we do something wrong, somebody changes their heart toward us. They do. We're, we're, we're human. We're, they, they harden their heart. They close their hearts, or they get angry, an angry heart, and they fight back. Well, God's heart is unchanged. And the truth is that your heart does not change God's heart. God's heart changes your heart, and his heart for you never changes. That's the language of covenant. And in the Hebrew, it's this old word, and it's translated in various English translations by covenant love, loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyal love, devotion committed, loyalty, and reliability. So what we see from Daniel's prayer is that the people are not all owning their sin. 
dealing with their sin, repenting of their sin, confessing their sin. God knows their sin. God knows our sin. But they don't do anything about it. So Daniel comes in as an intercessor. He takes the word of God and he brings it to the people. He takes the sins of the people and he brings them before God. That's an intercessor. You'll hear Christians talk about intercessing or, 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 or interceding is actually a ministry. And I think we're all called to this. And what Daniel is doing here, he is serving as an intercessor for the people of God. How amazing would it be to have Daniel as your intercessor? I have good news. You, we have a better intercessor than Daniel. Did you know that? His name is Jesus. I'll prove it to you. It's, verse, it's a verse in Hebrews 7.25, and it says, He is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen. Jesus is God, and Jesus died for your sins, and Jesus reveals the Father's heart of God. Jesus rises from death, and Jesus returned to his, he's, he's returned to his throne now, and sometimes we have this misunderstanding that Jesus worked, and now he's in heaven doing nothing, and he's kind of like waiting around until he comes back to finish his work. No. Let me just tell you this, that right now, one of the things that he does, we have it in the Bible, his work is to love you and to serve you and to intercede for you. That's what the Bible says. Now, the Bible tells us that he is interceding. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he's bringing your needs and your fears and your struggles to the Father. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. Right now, Jesus is talking to God the Father about you. Father, here's what they need. Father, this is what they're struggling with right now. Father, what shall we do for them? And what's amazing is that God doesn't get overwhelmed and God doesn't get exhausted. And God will provide for exactly what we need. It may not be what we want, but it will be exactly what we need. Praise God. Let's continue with the next section, verses 20 to 23. So we looked at the Bible study. We looked at the prayer, the lengthy prayer. Now we're going to look at the helper and God's love for us. And um, these two sections aren't going to be much shorter, so don't worry about that. Are you guys hot? I'm a little hot. I don't know if this, let me just, just give me one second here. Never mind. It wasn't set. My apologies. Okay, so section three. Let me just read verses 20 to 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift fight at the time, flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. So he, in other words, he came to help. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you to it. Check this out. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. First, when you pray, here's the good news. God hears. When you pray, God hears. That's, that's huge. See, Daniel is praying, and he doesn't know. He's like, is this going beyond the roof, the ceiling? Is my prayer doing anything? Is it worth it? This is why... People of prayer and people of worship 
tend to see the supernatural more consistently than those who do not because they believe in a supernatural God and they welcome him in their life and circumstances. We would do, we would benefit a lot more if we would do that too. And what happens here, he gets the angel Gabriel. Now, some of you will ask, some of us will ask, how come I don't get an angel? Well, maybe you do. <laughs> you just don't know. Well, here, here's the good news. Daniel prays because he has a problem. He is praying and what he receives is a helper. His helper is Gabriel. Your helper, our helper, is the Holy Spirit a ton better. A ton better. That is absolutely amazing. We have God. God is our helper, right? When you send a prayer, God doesn't necessarily have to send an angel, but he always sends the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And the same power that empowered the life of Jesus empowers our life. John 14, 26 says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And the first thing that he wants to teach you is that you are greatly loved. <laughs> Imagine how amazing this was to Daniel. If you looked at his life, just put yourself, put yourself in Daniel's shoes, right? Would he come to the conclusion that he was greatly loved? Looking at his circumstances, his nation was conquered. He came in as a slave. They castrated him, forced him into demonic studies. He was brainwashed, or at least they tried to brainwash him. He's been away from home, serving evil kings uh, as a single man for almost all of his life. But God shows up through an angel and tells him, you are greatly loved. Would you sense that if your, heart, if your life would be really, really hard? Is that, the, is that the thing that you would say, oh, God loves me? Listen, just because life is hard, it does not mean that God hates you. It may mean that God loves you. But the enemy of God hates you. The enemy of God hates us. Friend, listen, if you are in Christ, you are greatly loved. If you don't feel it, you are greatly loved. If you don't see it, you are greatly loved. If you don't know it, you are greatly loved because you're in Christ. How amazing is that? We're not preaching the prosperity gospel. No, 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 no. We're preaching the truth. This is the truth that we are, if you're in Christ, you are greatly loved. There's a guy in the New Testament, and he is friends with Jesus. His name is John. We actually went through 1 John. And John, as an old man, he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And guess what he calls his fellow Christian brothers and sisters? And by the way, that includes us. Beloved, greatly loved. And he goes to a, quite an extent for us to really get that. He uses it over and over and over and over again. Beloved, you're greatly loved. The first thing that God wants to reveal to you is that you are greatly loved. That no matter what you've done, this is a God whose heart has not changed towards you. And you are greatly loved and he is here to hear you and to help you. Amen? This news that God loves us ought to change the internal environment of our hearts, the positioning of our hearts. Here's a powerful verse in Romans 2.4 that expresses that. I'm finishing here with a big thought, so just hang in there. Don't go to the bathroom. Don't go to the bathroom now. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? To repentance or salvation. Now check this out. If God's love doesn't change you, if God's love doesn't change us, we do not get his love. We've never, we've never understood his love. 
if all you do and is all we do is take his love and continue sinning in your life, you don't get his love. You've never understood his love. And that's, this is the catch. Not a catch, but this is the reality. This is the truth. And then lastly, Daniel is going to close with a prophecy. Um, verses 24 to 27. So the Bible study, we looked at the, the prayer, uh, the helper in God's love, and now the prophecy. Verses 24 to 27. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. And know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat. But in a troubled time, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. How many of you are glad you're not in my place now? I'll be honest with you. I really don't know what this is talking about specifically. I just don't know. I have my view, sure. I have a pretty, I think we have a pretty good overview of what's going on, maybe. And maybe some of you are going to be really kind of bummed out that I'm not spending too much time on this. No, I'm going to spend five to seven minutes on this. That's not because it's not important. It's because it's just a little bit confusing, and, and, but I'll, I'll explain. But I can tell you this. I can tell you who this passage is talking about, or at least in part, Jesus Christ. As I said two weeks ago, there are things as Christians that we should hold in closed hand, in a closed hand. Things that we should embrace and believe with our whole heart. These are things that we do not budge from. If we do, we're not Christian anymore. And there are things that, we are, that are in the open hand. It could be this, or it could be this. Let's pray about it. Let's open our Bibles. Let's do Bible studies. Let's, let's have coffee over and let's just talk, right? In addition, as we look at this prophecy, there are many people who love God, believe the Bible, and they end up with all kinds of different conclusions because there are all kinds of questions here. And to be honest with you, every potential answer has something in it that I believe is a weakness. Here are the questions, just really quickly. Are these events past history or future prophecy or a combination of both? Now, I know what I believe, but I'm not going to get into that because I don't have the time and I don't want to, I had a different vision for this. Number two, are these numbers 70 times 7 literal or symbolic? Right? Is it, is it really 490 or is it symbolic? Like Jesus said, forgive your enemies 70 times 7, which was symbolic. In addition, number three, are the sevens weeks or years? If it's 70 times 7, is it 40, 490 weeks or is it 490 years? There's definitely a debate over that as well. In addition, how long is a year? Is it a 360-day Jewish year or a 365 lunar year? Lastly, the other interpretive issue. Multiple decrees went forth to rebuild Jerusalem. It says here that the clock will start when the decree goes out. Which decree are we talking about? For each one of these, how you answer them puts you in a different conclusion. Now, here's what we do know. 
here's what we do know, and we should celebrate this, that Jesus accomplishes all of these things, especially at the beginning. Finishing transgression, that's him. He brings an end to the rebellion, that's him. He, he put an end to sin, that's him. He will come again to stop the evil in the world, atone for iniquity. He's done that. He died on the cross for our sins, paying our debt to God, bringing in everlasting righteousness that will happen with the second coming to seal the vision of the prophet. He will fulfill all biblical prophecy perfectly and anoint a most holy place. When he comes back, everything will be as God intended and as God predetermined. That's for sure. Now, here's what we can do when we reach these difficult parts of the Bible. We can skip them. A lot of people actually do. We can skip them. And, and you know, as I understand that, it's complicated. Sure, number two, we can get really dogmatic about them. I know exactly what this means. Oh, let, let me tell you. I know exactly to the point what this means. What happens is people, when, when, you know, then who think that they know, they get very dogmatic about things that haven't happened yet. I say let's be dogmatic about things that have happened, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And let's wait and see what happens for the things that have not yet happened, right? Sure, there's things in the future that will happen for sure. Let's celebrate that. Like, it's fun to argue over who's going to win the Super Bowl or the World Cup or, you know, or the election. It's kind of like, we'll just have to wait and see, you know what I mean? I know this with my whole heart, church, namely, that Jesus is going to do everything the Bible says, just like the Bible says, and we'll have to see when the hour and the minute and the second, all of this will happen. My point is, I'm not on the planning committee. I don't have a date on my calendar, but I'm on the welcome committee. And when Jesus comes back, I'll be really, really happy. I'll cut my cake. I'll whack my piñata. I will do my dance. I will sing my song. I will welcome Jesus back for sure. I don't know what that day is. But my point is to be ready every single day. Here's the point. We need to be ready every single day because we don't know the hour nor the day, okay? And so that being said, it makes sense to me why the Bible says we see in part, we know in part. It's like looking through a fogged window. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't study these things. No, we should. And if you want to have further you know, conversation on what I believe that this, this means, please come. Let's talk. You're like, I see it, but it's not totally clear. That's because the righteous live by faith, not by sight. We have sight for the things in the past. We have faith for the things in the future. I don't know exactly when or how, but I know who. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is alive, and he is well. And right now, he's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all of us. And he is coming again to judge the living and the dead, to establish the eternal kingdom of God, and to put an end to all of these shenanigans down here. And he has blessing for all of his saints. That I know with my entire heart, and I'll see you there. Until then church what we do is we pray we bible study together we worship together we bring our requests to god together we pray for one another together we open the word together we respond to god through worship and prayer and in doing so we're preparing ourselves for jesus second coming or for his rapture if you believe in one i do lord jesus come quickly Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.